Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. What if? What if you truly, really trusted What if you really believed that everything that God said in his word was true? What would your life look like if you truly trusted that what Jesus said, everything that Jesus said is true? In John's gospel, Jesus' disciples got to hear him speak quite a bit. They got to hear him lot prove who he was, that he was God and he is good. In John chapter one, starts out this way. Jesus said, after reading his first disciples' minds, saying something to them that only they could have known, he said, you think that's awesome? He said, you will see even greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John chapter one. In John chapter two, Jesus was at a wedding with his best friends and his mom, and they ran out of wine. He told the servants at the wedding, draw some out, some water out, and take it to the master of the banquet, and you know what happens. He turned water to wine. Also in John chapter two, Jesus is talking to religious leaders, and they said, who do you think you are? He said, watch destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from his dead, then then his disciples recalled what he had said. John chapter 3, Jesus says the most famous words of all, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. John chapter four, a woman with a reputation that was, well, less than stellar is hanging out with Jesus and his disciples happen upon him and they hear him say, they hear him say to the woman after she said, I know the Messiah is gonna come into the world and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. They heard him say, I, the one speaking to you, am he. At the end of that very same chapter, a royal official comes up to Jesus, says, my boy's dying, please help me out. Jesus says, go, your son will live. John chapter five, this is the last one. We listened to this last week. We heard these words. Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes them won't be judged by some vindictive God at the end of the world. No, they will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I mean, imagine living in these words. Imagine hearing these words and the confidence they inspire, the courage that they give. Imagine living in that, seeing all of that, hearing all of that. What would your life look like if you really trusted everything that Jesus said? Jesus' disciples, they were living quite figuratively and literally in that mountaintop moment, experiencing all of that as we roll into John chapter 6, 
which is where we're at today. It starts this way. Sometime after this, John 1 through 5, Jesus crossed from the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. The good news was getting out. Crowds were beginning to come. The church was beginning to grow. Life was good for Jesus' disciples. On top of that, they knew where their next meal was going to come and their next bottle of wine. Jesus could just make it. They knew they had peace and they had security. I mean, think about it. This guy said he could open heaven. He could open up any prison door they get put in. They knew they had freedom and forgiveness. Jesus said he could open up heaven. What else could he open up for them? They knew they had a calling from God to share this good news. Yeah, life was good for Jesus' disciples. Until a really big problem came to them. Lots of people, lots and lots of people wanted a piece of Jesus. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus' disciples start to freak out. Houston, we have a problem. All these people are coming. What are we going to do? Where are we going to feed them? Jesus, he just, he just lays back on the grassy knoll that he was sitting on and says, perfect. Time for a pop quiz. Let's see if they were listening. Let's see if they were, they were really hearing me, if they were truly trusting, believing everything that I had to say to them. Philip, what do you think? What do you think? Where shall we buy bread for all these mouths? He tests them. And Philip, Philip freaks out. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, exclamation point. Jesus, look, we don't even have enough money in, in our treasury for the 12 of us to get lunch. We were hoping you were going to help us out with that. Now you want to give more than a bite. You want to feed all 5,000 plus of these people? Jesus, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> no, we can't do it. One of Jesus' other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Look, he, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and, and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? Jesus, I walked around the crowds. I could only find this boy with a snack pack. What's that going to do? Jesus, you got to send them away. I mean, I mean, think about it. It's, it's getting close to dinner time. There's a crowd here. They're going to get hangry. They're going to start to turn on us. They're going to start rioting. Jesus, people already want to kill you. This is not good PR. Tell them to go. Do you know that's what the disciples wanted to happen? This miracle, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the few miracles recorded in all of the Gospels. You want to know what we learn in those? Disciples begged Jesus. They begged Jesus 
to send them away. Tell them to go. All because Jesus asked them a question. Are we going to feed them? What do you think? Where are we going to buy bread? And like a loaf of bread, they crumble into 5,000 pieces. Pun intended. Because that's what fear does. That's the effect that fear has on us. Jesus just wanted to teach them a lesson about trust, about faith, about courageous Christian living. And he wanted to teach them what we're going to call our big idea for today, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is trusting God in spite of fear, even when things seem to the contrary. It's a tough lesson, and Jesus wanted to teach them this because he could have just told them this. He could have just said it explicitly, but there's some lessons well, some lessons that maybe are best learned by experience, best learned by going through it. Jesus asked them what they should do, and you can feel it, you can hear it. Fear begins to creep in. Fear begins to fill them. It goes without saying God wants you to experience good. You know that, right? God wants you to experience good things in life. God wants you to prosper, and not in the false theological sense, but God wants you to have the good things that he's promised for you. God wants you to enjoy the security and the peace that he's won for you. He wants you to have the freedom and the forgiveness that he died so that you could have. He wants you to know the calling that he has blessed you with in his life. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to flourish. But fear wants you to flounder. And so fear, what it does is it, is it feel, fills you and it creeps in. And, and it does so much more than make your hands start to sweat, make your heart begin to race. Fear makes you blind to everything that God has given you. Everything that God has shown you that he can do. Everything that he's promised you. Fear makes us do really bizarre things. It makes us act in ways that, well, don't make any sense. I'm proud to say this. I've never really been afraid of the dark. But you want to know something? Growing up, I wasn't afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the shadows that the lamp in my front yard cast on my playground. And for five years, growing up in my childhood at home, if my parents didn't close the blind on the big glass doors in our back of our house... I got afraid, afraid of the shadows from the trees that it casts in the back. So I'd run through the living room. That's what fear does. It, fear makes us act in ways that don't make any sense, that don't stand to reason. Fear is what makes the high school student or the college student or maybe even the adult do things that they know they shouldn't, do things that they know are going to have emotional, maybe even physical consequences they want to fit in anyways. Fear, it's what makes the wife of 25 plus years start to, start to feel trapped in her marriage, start to feel like she doesn't feel the way she used to anymore, start to feel like there's no hope, start to feel like she can't put the work in that it takes to make a Christian marriage or any marriage work. And so fear is what makes her leave. Fear 
fills us and it makes us do things that we wouldn't normally otherwise do because fear, well, it's more than just an emotion. Fear is a life wrecker and a joy crusher. So here's the million dollar question. What are you afraid of? And notice, I didn't say, are you afraid of anything? Because no matter how bad you think you are, or no matter how tough you really are, we all got them. Maybe you call yours apprehension. Or maybe stress, or maybe anxiety, or worry, but it's fear. Fear is anything that keeps you up at night and distracts you, blinds you, fills you instead of the good that God wants to fill you with, instead of all of the blessings that he's promised you, instead of the peace and the hope and the joy that he's given you, instead of the security that he's won for you, instead of the freedom and forgiveness that he has covered over your life with, instead of joy in the many callings that he's blessed you with. What are you afraid of? And what would your life look like if you really trusted everything that Jesus said in his word? If you're willing to admit that you have fear, and even if you don't, that's okay. (laughs) These words are for you. What we're going to do is look at two questions about fear, what produces fear and what reduces fear as we continue on with John chapter 6. These are the holy, inspired, eternal words of your living creator who said this. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. This is the word of God. You might wonder, why is it that Jesus had just proven he was willing to cover lunch? He, was pr- he just proved that he was good. He just proved that he was God. Why is it that he went away by himself? Why is it that he got his disciples out of there fast? Well, scripture tells us, Jesus knew that they intended to come and make him king by force. Jesus knew that that wasn't what he was here for, and he knew the temptation that would cause for his disciples. Here are some fishermen. Over half of them grew up as fishermen. And what would it mean if Jesus became the king of the Jewish people? Well, he'd be their right-hand man. 
He'd be their cabinet. And he didn't want them to face that temptation. So he got them in a boat and he got them out of there as quick as he could. This wasn't some sunset cruise. This was a late night getaway that we're reading about in John chapter six. Now, by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. The trip to Capernaum was supposed to be short. Jesus was supposed to meet them on their way over there. But you see, the Sea of Galilee, it sits in a bowl and it sits geographically in a region in which there are mountains that are over 10,000 feet tall. And so with a snap, you can get air pressure and wind currents moving in and storms pop up over this lake really easily. And so what should have been just a quick trip wasn't. It took them all night to row just three or four miles and they weren't even there yet. They're out there in the middle of the lake. But is that what made them afraid? Oftentimes when people tell this story, that's what they point to as inciting fear in the disciples. But you gotta remember, over half of them were professional fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. That's not what frightened them. What did? Scripture tells us. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus miraculously walking on the water and they were afraid. Mark in Matthew's gospel adds this, that they shout like schoolchildren when they see Jesus because they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Mark's gospel, Matthew says the same thing. Let me ask you this. Riddle me this, are, are ghosts real? Well, what the Bible tells us is that angels and demons are real. Ghosts are absolutely not real. And so here's what happens. A group of Jesus' disciples who had seen him just feed 5,000, not to mention all those other things that they saw and heard him say and do. Jesus' disciples are there in the middle of the lake and grown men give in to superstition, misinformation, and they're afraid. They start to, they start to panic because that's what fear does. You want to know what produces Fear. Fear is not produced by frightening situations. Certainly the waters, they probably made the emotions stir. Certainly there are situations in life that give way to greater emotional highs and lows, but fear is not produced by frightening situations. Fear is produced by you trusting misinformation. Jesus' disciples had seen him be their Lord. And not just their Lord, they had seen him be the Lord over matter. They had seen him manipulate matter on a molecular level. They seen him turn water to wine, a dead boy to a live fish, just a few, into enough to feed 5,000. If they thought about it logically, if they put two and two together, they would have thought that there's Jesus walking out to help us. Did you know Jesus actually earlier in his ministry, had calmed a storm for him. But they give way to superstition, misinformation, and lies. So they're afraid. What lies do you believe? 
what forms of misinformation about how the world works, about how human nature works, do you give into that result in your fears? What I want to do is <laughs> take the conversation a little bit deeper than blaming the mainstream media or social media for whatever purporting of news you believe in your life and ask you about the personal stories that you tell yourself. What lies do you believe? All the time we tell ourselves that there are certain ways the world works, that people work, and it produces fear in us. We tell ourselves that I must have everyone's approval, even though that's not how the world works. You can't please everybody, and there's some people that just aren't going to like you, and yet you have a God who wholly approves of you and calls you holy. Yeah, what do you do? Worry about making everybody happy. And so you're afraid of those who don't approve of you. You tell yourself that it's, that it's easier to avoid your problems than address them head on, even though we know the truth is that the way problems are solved are by addressing them straight on. And plus, you have a God who says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. And yet you run from your problems. You remain in fear of your problems. Tell yourself that I can do anything I set my mind to. And yet, that's not true. The truth is, to err is human. Plus, you have a God who covers over all of your mistakes, whose blood of his son is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, for our mistakes, and not just ours, the sins of the whole world. And yet, what do you do? You worry about failure. You live in fear of failure. It's not your situations in life, frightening though they may be, that produce fear. It's the misinformation. The disciples had godly information, but they believed worldly information. They had words of the eternal living God, but they believed how their mind works. Look, you don't have to believe in ghosts or superstition in order to trust in misinformation. You just have to draw your knowledge from how the world works, from your own mind, from pop opinion, instead of God's word. And my friends, this has serious implications. Can I give you a silly example? How many of you like roller coasters? Right now, I enjoy them, I love them, but right after I was afraid of shadows in my backyard, I was afraid of roller coasters. Now, how many of you are afraid of roller coasters? How many of you are afraid of them and I'll say this, if you're afraid of heights or it makes you kind of queasy in your stomach, I respect that. But how many are afraid that if you go on them, you're going to die? Thanks for being courageous. If you believe that you're going to die on a roller coaster, you're believing misinformation. Did you know the odds of dying on a roller coaster are one in 750 million? You're going to have a greater chance of dying by walking out to your car and getting hit by another vehicle than dying from a roller coaster. And here a roller coaster is supposed to be, in most people's opinion anyways, something that is supposed to induce joy, something that's supposed to be a blast, something that's supposed to be a thrill in life. 
But what fear does, it blinds you from all that. It barricades you and keeps you from all that. Now we're just talking about a roller coaster. What about the prosperity, the goodness, the happiness, the joy that God wants for you now and in eternity? What about the security and safety that God has given you? What about the forgiveness and freedom that he's won for you? What happens when you give into fear, when you believe worldly disinformation instead of godly information is that it wrecks our lives. We become weak and meek. We give way to procrastination and indecision. We start to resort to things to distract ourselves from the fear that have bad consequences on our bodies and our minds. We give into drugs and alcohol and pornography and doom scrolling because that's what fear does to people. Fear is not produced by frightening situations. It's produced by believing and trusting in misinformation. And so that's why God comes. He comes and speaks again and again and again to you and me, even if it means he has to walk on water. Jesus knew his disciples were afraid. He knows when you're afraid. And when he And when you're afraid, when his disciples were afraid, what's most amazing is he shows grace and he speaks words of peace. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't speak words of condemnation, but he comes and he speaks words of comfort and courage. We looked at what produces fear. Let's look at what, or rather who reduces fear. Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. What words that inspire comfort, what words that give courage. I want to look at them in just a second, but first, can we look at that first clause? Jesus says, it is I. And he's not just showing up to the disciples who couldn't really make out who it was and saying, hey guys, it's Jesus, it's me. No, he's telling them two things. He's telling them who he is and why it is they can live lives without fear and truly not be afraid. He says to him, it is I. And that isn't really translated well into English because what he says there in Greek is ego, I me, two words which say I am. Jesus comes and quite literally to his disciples, he says, I am, do not be afraid. Does that name mean anything to you? That is the name that God spoke to Moses in the Old Testament to reveal to Moses and to all his people exactly who he is. Moses is standing there shaking at the sight of the burning bush, shaking in fear at the thought that he would go and lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. He makes all the excuses. He even says to God, what if they just don't believe me? Who who is it? Who, Who should I say to them that has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, tell them I am has sent you. When Jesus says to his disciples, I am, don't be afraid. What he's saying is that I am the God of the past, present, and future. Do you have fears about your future? Do you have fears about your past? Jesus says, I am, don't be afraid. Jesus is telling them that I am the great I am who holds all the power in the world. The storms of life rock you. Jesus says, I am, don't be afraid. 
Jesus, when he says to his disciples, I am, is telling his disciples that he is the God who changes not. He is not the God who one day gives comfort and mercy and joy and peace and the next day exacts vengeance on his people. He's telling them, I'm the God who never changes. I am the God of the covenant. I am the God who promises good things to you. Does this changing, ever-changing world cause you to fear? I am. Don't be afraid. Jesus is not only telling them exactly who he is, he's telling them why it is that that name, that person, the person who he is, proves he is good and cares about them and why it is they don't have to be afraid. Just hours earlier, this is the one who stood on the shore of the beach and turned down the throne. This is the one who turned down the crown, who turned down the kingship, who turned down the fame. Why? So he could take all their shame. So he could take all your sin, all of your worry, all your doubt, and pick up a cross and pick up a crown of thorns. He is the great I am, the great I am of the covenant promise who has done everything that he has ever said he was going to do. You want to know what reduces your fears? It is not you mustering up your courage. Fear is not reduced by you just mustering up your courage. Fear is reduced by you trusting I am promises. Think about this for a second. Think about all of the promises that God has ever made to you, that he's ever made to anyone. He promised that he'd create the world and he wouldn't just back away, but he'd care for it and he'd provide for you everything that you need to sustain body and life. He promised that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd live perfectly, that he'd die for you, rise for you, ascend on high for you, that he'd be there preparing a place for you, working all things out so that you can be there with him. Think about this. The only promise that Jesus hasn't kept is the one that he said is yet to come, that he's gonna come back and take you to be with him. Look, let me just, let me just, Speak personally for a moment. Why is it that I ever worry? I mean, seriously, Jesus has way too much invested, and now I'm speaking for all of us, in you and me for you to ever worry that he is not going to do exactly what he said he's going to do for you. Jesus Christ is the great I am who's kept all of his promises. And so now you and I get to see something that the disciples couldn't even see in that moment. And I said, Jesus has been in your boat the entire time. What are you afraid of? And what if you truly, really trusted everything that Jesus ever said to you? It's a small thing, but I think it's fascinating. In this last verse, Jesus said to him, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately, immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I'm not gonna make up some metaphor about what it means that the boat immediately reached the place where they're heading. I'll just say this. It's one more miracle it's one more miracle that proves Jesus is who he said he was, that proves Jesus really does and truly can care for you because 
with Jesus in your boat, you're always going to get wherever he wants you to go. And where he wants you to go is always good. Look, do you think Jesus would lie to you? Do you think Jesus said, look, I care more about you than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, but he really doesn't. He actually cares more about birds and flowers than you. Do you think Jesus would really promise you that in the waters of your baptism, I'm going to slap my identity on you. I'm going to cover you with my righteousness. But he's like, nah, I'm not really going to give them an inheritance of eternal riches that can neither spoil or fade or ever perish. Do you really think that in communion, God promises to give you himself, his body and his blood for your forgiveness? But he's like, nah, I'm really gonna let them stay in their sin. No, when Jesus says he's gonna do something, he does it. And what that means for you and me is not that we can go and walk on water, but what it means is that we can do whatever he promised us that he is going to allow us to do, including not be afraid. Do you know the most frequent command that God gives in scripture is that? It's don't be afraid. You think about why that is. It's because there are a lot of things in life that can cause us to worry, suffer anxiety, and feel fear. I want to challenge you this week. I want to leave you with this challenge. Go home, take out a piece of paper, Write down everything that you're afraid of. I did it this past week and the left margin in my planner quickly, it filled up. But then what I want you to do is go through each one of those things that you're afraid of. And I want you to write down a promise, a word from your God that addresses each one of those things. A promise like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like, I'm always going to send my spirit to be with you, to comfort and guide you. That I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And the list could go on and on. And you don't need to be a pastor to do this. You can simply Google it. And if that doesn't work out for you, call or text me. I'm going to share these promises with you. Because the reality is, God gives us this command more frequently than any other command. Do not be afraid because God has good things prepared for you. He has peace and security that he's given you. He has freedom and forgiveness that he's won for you. He has a purpose that he's called you to. Our big idea for the day is this. It's that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is trusting God in spite of fear. I got that idea from Mark Twain, who said, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is action in spite of it. You know what? Mark Twain's wrong because there's a lot of frightening situations that move us to act in ways that are sadly informed by misinformation. Fear is not produced by frightening situations. Fear is produced by us acting on truly bad misinformation. Fear is reduced. In fact, fear is completely taken away, not by us acting or doing anything or mustering our courage, but fear is taken away by us trusting in promises, promises from the I am, promises like the fact that Jesus says, I'm with you always, I'm always in your boat. Promises that Jesus says, I love you, you are my beloved. So what if? What if you lived 
really trusting in everything Jesus said. Amen. Amen.